Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 134 of the SCO Show. Proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. And I know I promised Wednesday shows, and that's what you're getting, but it's a little bit of a delay, as we're going to talk about in a second, because the NFL has yet to release the All-22 from, forget just Sunday's games, they haven't released it yet, from Thursday night. And so all of us NFL writers that rely on that to do our jobs and thereby feed our families have been flying blind. But we're going to do what we can with the film that we have. First, talk quickly about the game against the Dolphins. we got to turn the page. we got the Seattle Seahawks this weekend. That's going to be a huge task. I'm going to talk a lot about Jamal Adams here in a moment. Before we do that, our usual cavalcade of reminders. Please do follow along on the Bird app with the hijinks at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Check out the work. Places like Matt Waldeman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and of course right here at Pat's Pulpit. And of course, USA Today Touchdown Wire, where I'm starting to get you ready for week two best I can. We've got, in essence, some elimination games starting Thursday night with... The Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, not a lot of people expect those teams to really contend for the playoffs, but historically speaking, teams that start 0-2, they don't make the playoffs. There were nine teams, nine, that started 0-2 last year. None of them made the playoffs. Two years ago, we had two, the Texans and the Saints. Both started 0-2, but both of them made the playoffs. Prior to that 2018 season, teams that started 0-2 since the playoff expansion made the playoffs 9.8% of the time. When the Seahawks and the Texans made it, it jumped up to like 12.2. And last year with nine teams missing out, it dropped to 11.2. So we get some elimination games, a couple of big ones too. Buccaneers are in one because they're playing the Panthers who are 0-1. Atlanta-Dallas, that's an elimination game. In a sense, both those teams are 0-1. So... If you wanted to see more on those, you can check out a piece I wrote over at usatoday.com, the Touchdown Wire website. Also, at the outset, some melancholy happy trails, as it were, to Jeanette Belichick. The mother of Patriots head coach Bill Belichick passed away from natural causes at the age of 98 or out in Annapolis, Maryland. And we all are hoping for the best for the Belichick family. Our thoughts and prayers are with them at this time. Congratulations to Jeanette Belichick on a life well lived. Bob Soshi, the voice of the Patriots, pointed out on Twitter on Tuesday how she's a language professor, was fluent in seven different languages, just a fascinated woman. And we wish the Belichick family the best. Let's look back briefly at Sunday, we're going to talk some transcripts. We're going to talk some Kyle Duggar. We're going to talk some Juwan Williams. We'll start with a couple of quotes from Belichick's presser that he gave on Tuesday. He had some interesting responses to some questions. First, a question about David Andrews. Does David Andrews's athleticism at center allow you to do some things differently or more efficiently in the run game? Belichick's answer, great insight to David Andrews. I mean, look. David is a very experienced player. I mean, he's really played center his whole life, all the way back to before high school, so he's got almost 20 years of playing center. 
that's a lot of football at that position. He's very good at it. He's very experienced, has good quickness, has a lot of savvy, and can just read and pick up things that are second nature to him that a less experienced guy might have trouble with. But he is athletic. He's smart. He's got good quickness. And he's got very good technique. He really understands where the problems are and kind of what he needs to do to help handle those problems, whether that's line calls or technique and so forth. But he does a good job for us. Good to have him back in there Sunday for sure. Unsaid in that is what having an athletic center can do for an offense, particularly if you are starting to move to some outside zone, wide zone type of stuff as we have seen the Patriots do. Obviously, they had it in the playbook the past couple of years, but we saw a lot of outside zone looks, a lot of power read with a potential outside zone element to it with Cam Newton as the quarterback on Sunday. And think about, too, this past draft cycle when we were studying centers. We were talking about guys like Nick Harris when I was talking about interior offensive linemen. If you have a center who's athletic, who can get that reach block, so you don't have a play that gets stopped before it starts by interior penetration. That's critical. And David Andrews can do that. And so Belichick, obviously, a bit of the 30,000-foot view in his praise. You dive down deeper. The athleticism, the ability to identify and make those reach blocks, critical for an offense to get going. Belichick also talked a ton about Adrian Phillips. He was asked, it looked like you used Adrian Phillips in a few different ways on Sunday. What about his physical skill set allows you to do that? How impressed have you been by him, given he did miss some time this summer? Belichick's answer, in part, quote in here, because we have to defend so many different things from a week-to-week basis, teams are using more and more formations and personnel groupings and motions and just deceptive things for the defense. Even though a lot of their plays are the same, they look a lot different. They might run the same play four or five times in a game, but it looks different every time. Or they might switch personnel groupings and things like that. I think that's an advantage to have some versatility defensively and also get defensive players that are instinctive and can recognize the play and not get distracted by all the things going around it are guys that can be really productive and have plays that they just anticipate and there to make a play on. Adrian showed the ability to do that with the Chargers, and he's certainly done some of that for us and had a couple of really good plays. Obviously the interception, but he was in some other plays on Sunday against Miami. He's a smart player, he's tough, he's physical, he runs well, and he tackles well and plays within the defense, plays a smart game. Glad we have him, and he's working well with our other linemen, linebackers, and specifically defensive backs, which is where he works the most. But when he's around the line of scrimmage, he has to have good feel for what those other guys are doing too. He's shown the ability to play near the line and not near the line, so it just kind of depends on what they're in and what we're trying to do. We've talked a lot about versatility, right? I've probably beaten you over the head with it, particularly at the safety position. In today's NFL, you have to, as a safety, and we're going to talk about this with Jamal Adams in the second half of the show. If you can cover a slot receiver on first down, play a half field on second down, play down in the box on third down, or alternatively, cover tight end on first down, stop the run on second down from the edge, play center field on third, you are going to be extremely valuable to your defensive staff. And if you think about some of the skill sets and traits of the Patriots' safeties right now, Kyle Duggar, who we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the way he was used, at least the stuff I could see, because I don't have the all 22 yet, 
Talk about Devin McCourty, a cornerback's background. No, Adrian Phillips. The versatility of safeties is critical in today's NFL. And that's what Belichick talks about there. And he goes on further. He's asked another question about Phillips and what he did a couple years ago against Baltimore um, when he was with the Chargers. Answer, we've seen Adrian all the way through his career. We've kind of either crossed paths with him or defensively looking at the Chargers against whoever they were playing that we were playing. You know, teams like Denver and Oakland and other AFC teams and so forth. He's one of the guys we always looked at because usually he was, usually what he was seeing, if he had a key on something, then we were trying to figure out what he was looking for, how he knew it was coming, and see if we could use that same key in anticipation. He's a tough kid, plays in the kicking game. He did a great job for the Chargers in the kicking game in a number of different roles there. We just felt like with his, there's this word again, versatility. An ability to help us both on defense and on special teams, but not do everything all at once. He could plug into wherever you needed him. That he really had a lot of value and versatility for our team. I'd say then without Pat Chun, this has become a bigger role and a bigger opportunity to do those things. That he's taken advantage of that and embraced them. So we'll see where it goes, but I'm glad we have him. He's a guy that really gives us a lot of experience and a lot of versatility on defense from a player who hasn't been with us. Again, versatility. Huge in today's NFL. So that's some thoughts from the hoodie. Let's talk about the film. And again, what I could see of it, because I don't have it all yet. But I'm going to talk about two young players, Kyle Duggar and Jawan Williams here. But yeah, we'll turn to the film now. And I want to start with Kyle Duggar. Giving credit for, according to the charted, um, I'm getting it from Pro Football Reference here, 11 plays. 11 plays. And... I tried to find all of them. I'm not sure I got all of them on film. There might be one that I missed because, you know, couldn't see him or whatever. But it looked like for the most of the time, he was aligned down near the line of scrimmage, mostly in the slot. Saw a lot of plays where they used him in the slot. And interestingly enough, they blitzed him a couple of times. Two from what I charted. Maybe I missed something here and there, but it looked like at least twice they blitzed him. Um, one of those plays, interestingly enough, he got some pressure on Ryan Fitzpatrick. There's a play. It's actually a completion for about 18 yards to Devontae Parker. It's a first and 10. Um, Miami on the own, their own 23 in the second quarter. Uh, 7.48 mark. Miami comes out. Fitzpatrick under center. Looks like 21 personnel. Staggered backs are staggered to the left. Tight end to the right. Duggar's kind of handing over the tight end about seven to eight yards off the line of scrimmage. And he blitzes Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, interestingly enough, the receiver, the Z receiver out to Duggar's side, starts in motion towards the football. But it's short motion. He doesn't even get to the tight end. And that's when Duggar starts to sort of come downhill so he gets a bit of a run and start. And it's a play-action play, and they pull the left guard to protect the edge. And Duggar is able to race past him, forces Fitzpatrick to sort of climb in the pocket. But he climbs the pocket and makes a good throw and completes it, as I said, for a gain of 18 to Devontae Parker. But still, interesting to see how the Patriots used him on that play. There was another play where he sort of, again, aligns in the slot. This one comes 
second quarter, first and 10 at the New England 48, 6.04 mark. It's the same exact formation. You've got staggered backs, Fitzpatrick under center, pro set to the right with a tight end in the Z receiver. Duggar's sort of lurking seven to eight yards off the line of scrimmage. Play action, and this time it looks like they're dropping into zone. Again, I can't really see. I lose sight of the corners, but they use zone turns. They're looking at the quarterback through their receiver's eyes. You don't see the 11th defender, who I assume is the free safety in the deep middle of the field. Duggar sees the run action and cheats down a bit before sort of retreating and he, you know, throws away from him. Um, But he does sort of bite a little bit on the play action. So something to take note of there. But from what I was able to see, they wanted to use him mostly down in the slot, mostly down in the box as your sort of prototypical strong safety type. A lot of the ways we'd seen them use Patrick Chun in the past. Um, So a bit of a easing in process, I'd say, for Kyle Duggar. But just some of the interesting things I was able to to gleam from the broadcast film as I was reworking through it on Tuesday night. Now let's talk Juwan Williams here for a second. What's interesting about Williams, and he was in on 27 snaps, unless, again, I screwed something up, all of his snaps were either down in the box, in the slot, or at corner. Never used him at safety. You know, he was down in the box or at corner. And... What's fascinating about studying him is what he was asked to do. And we had theorized that Williams might have been used as sort of a tight end guy. That might be because of his size and his length, the way that they use him, particularly against Mike Jacecki, right? First time I saw him on the field, Miami, third and four, first quarter, 1351. They have Mike Jacecki in a detached alignment, almost in the slot, detached from the right tackle. They're going to motion to a bunch look. Actually, it's more to a trips. Who's aligned in press coverage across from Mike Jacecki? Who gets a jam on Mike Jacecki on his vertical release? Basically erases him from the play. Juwan Williams. Next time you see him, this is a third and two, 6-13 of the first quarter. Miami is now in that bunch look. Who's across from Mike Jacecki? Juwan Williams. Has him in man coverage. Goes with him wherever he goes. Again, I lose. He goes off the screen. He goes on a vertical route. But Juwan Williams is covering him in man coverage. Second and 11. Second quarter, 108. Miami try to make some things happen. Mike Jacecki has a reception for nine yards. Who's covering him in man coverage? Press alignment. Tries to jam him with the line. Doesn't give up any yak, but he gives up the reception. It's Juwan Williams. And then, of course, we talked about it in the postgame show. Third and five. Third quarter. 8.54 mark. Mike Jacecki. It's a Y-ISO alignment. He's a single receiver on the left side of a 3 by one formation. Goes back shoulder. It's Jawan Williams who's there with him. We've theorized a lot on the various iterations of this show about potential tight end killers. Remember Obi Melanfonwu? The Patriots acquired him. And I talked about the inside the pylon draft guide and how we thought he might be a Travis Kelsey eraser type. 
That's what they seem to be asking Juwan Williams to do. And the film, at least what we could see, bears that out. It seemed like almost when he was on the field, he would align where Mike Giusecki was and he would have him in man coverage. Now you've got Greg Olson this week. Are we going to see more of that? Quite likely. Up next, we're going to talk about that game. We're going to talk about Seattle, some of the things I'm going to be watching for, and a deeper dive, again, as best as we can, on Jamal Adams. That's ahead here on episode 134 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 134 of The Sco Show. Recording this on Wednesday morning, and this is our standard film review slash film look ahead. As we're going to be doing this week's shows on sort of Sunday night, Monday morning, as well as the Wednesday show. Typically, what we've done in these shows is taken a look at the All-22 and really dove into what happened on Sunday, as well as some things to look for in the upcoming game. But if you've been on Twitter or you've listened to the first half of the show, you know that that product has not been made available. And so a lot of people very frustrated right now. And I know that there, Evan Lazar actually had a very well-reasoned tweet about this. Actually, there's a double tweet thread, a thread of two. The basically was like, look, there are obviously bigger things going on in the world than some self-absorbed football writers griping about not having access to this. But a lot of us in our contracts are contracted to write film review pieces by, say, Tuesday. And we can't. And so it's starting to have an impact on our ability to do our jobs. And I know, again, look, on the grand scheme of things that are wrong in the world in the year of our Lord 2020, you get to cats and dogs not getting along before you get to what we're dealing with. But this is a football show, and I have promised you all film pieces and film shows. And I can't quite do it right. Um, so that's part of the frustration that you're hearing in my voice, part of the frustration you're hearing or seeing on the timeline. It's an inability to do our jobs, and it's making things hard for us. And you could put on the tinfoil hat in a sense and say, look, people like by Mike Baldy, um, Matt Bowen, who I think the world of, you know, they've had access to it. Um, so you start to wonder, is the league sort of giving it to preferred media outlets first? Maybe, um, but I've learned from covering this game professionally now for a couple of years, by the time you get to Wednesday, people, no, most people don't care about Sunday, last Sunday. They care about next Sunday. And so at this point, once it goes up and people start doing their reviews, it's time for previews. And that's what the people who've already had this stuff will be doing. I'm just saying, man, it, it's hard. But we roll on because again, there are bigger things going on in the world, but I, I had to gripe for a minute because it's my show. Let's talk a couple of things I'm going to be looking for on Sunday before diving into Jamal Adams deep. And this is it. This is, yes, Ryan Fitzpatrick can do some things with his legs. This is the first of the murderer's row of athletic quarterbacks that the Patriots are going to face this year. And I've beaten it into your collective heads by now. But I have to remind you, because it is tough. You get Russell Wilson this week, arguably one of the most effective quarterbacks inside and outside of the pocket. 
You know what he can do with his legs. And then you get Derek Carr, who maybe not as athletic, but can move around a little bit. Then you get Patrick Mahomes. Then you get Drew Locke. Then you get the bye. Then you get Garoppolo. Then you get Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray. Maybe by this time, Justin Herbert, who can move. Jared Goff, okay. Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua. By the time we play the Dolphins again, Josh Allen and Sam Darnold again. This is this game and how they defend Russell Wilson and whether they're effective at doing that or not may be the biggest sort of indicator of how this defense is really going to fare this season. Because if they do a decent enough job against Russell Wilson and either using a mush rush to keep him in the pocket or a spy or a combination thereof, we can start to feel a little bit better about facing these quarterbacks and at least limiting some of what these guys can do and do extremely well. If they struggle at that, oh boy, the spidey sense is going to be tingling. And so the main thing that I want to see when the Seahawks have the ball is how are they going to defend Russell Wilson? Is it a mush rush? Is it a spy situation? Is it a combination of thereof? If and when they do spy him, who is it? Is it Kyle Duggar? It very well might be. Somebody with his athleticism, you know, somebody that just saw a handful of plays this past Sunday might be a little bit easier for him to say, okay, I know you're a rookie, you're still learning, we didn't have a full training camp, but here's your job. See number three, go where he goes. I want to know what kind of, what flavor of gummies chewing to steal that line from Hoosiers. And so I'm very curious, by and large, that is my focus Sunday night. How, are they, how do they defend Russell Wilson? What do they do schematically? How are they able to accomplish that or not? And what will that tell us about these games going forward against this list of quarterbacks? The other thing I'm going to be watching for when the Seahawks have the foot, when, excuse me, when the Patriots have the football is this, Jamal Adams. And say what you want about Jamal Adams. Say what you want about how he may have forced his way out of New York. The kid can play. He can be a problem. He was a monster on Sunday against Atlanta. Played, I think, all of their defensive snaps. He was all over the field. You know, eight solo tackles, 12 combined. Was targeted once, I think, in coverage. Didn't give up a reception. Had a sack. And he could stop things before they get going. Looking at what I could, he had a lot of plays against the run. Some of those he was sort of down in the slot against. Did a very good job against those. You know, working through the film a little bit. You'll see him, one of the very first plays, the first play of the game. He's aligned down in the box. Comes off the backside. They run Todd Gurley. Atlanta does on a crack toss play. And he chases it down from behind. It goes for a gain of five. But again, he's aligned almost as a linebacker. Comes outside the right tackle. Toss play away from him. And he chases down Todd Gurley. That's pretty impressive. A couple plays later. First to ten at the Atlanta 45. This is the 13-50 mark of the first quarter. He basically starts this play as a linebacker. He is down next to Bobby Wagner, sort of aligned outside shoulder of the left tackle. And the ball is snapped. He attacks. It's, it, it's a split zone play. 
He attacks the gap between the wing tight end and the left tackle, creates havoc in the backfield, forces Gurley to cut, and he cuts right into the arms of Bobby Wagner. And it's a one-yard loss. We've mentioned the idea of pressure is production. He can do that as a safety where he can sort of create havoc in the backfield and stop plays or disrupt plays before they begin. And that's a problem. First and 10, Atlanta ball at the Seattle 47. This is around the 4-11 mark of the first quarter. Matt Ryan under center. Run a little play action design here. Again, Adams is aligned almost as an outside linebacker. Play action looks to be to his side, so he comes down initially in response to it. Gurley then circles on a swing route. He drops into what looks like to be a zone. Throw to Gurley behind the line of scrimmage. Adams explodes downhill, stops him before he can get going, tackles him for a no gain on the play. Jamal Adams is going to be a problem Sunday night. And I've talked about Jamal Adams before when they were go up against the Jets and how you have to account for 33 on every single snap. That continues to an even greater degree on Sunday given the talent of defensive talent around him. Before we go, I want to talk about the sack that he had. This comes second quarter, about the 745 mark. Once more, he is aligned down in the box. He's basically across from the tight end who's in the wing. Tight end goes in motion away from him. And he just sort of slides around a bit, doesn't trail him. So listeners, what do you know? Zone coverage, right? That's a zone coverage look. But then right as Ryan's going through his cadence, he starts to creep downhill, ends up when the ball is snapped. He's aligned basically as a defensive end. Comes on a straight blitz. Gets right to Ryan untouched. What's notable about this play Seattle sugars the A-gaps. They've got both linebackers in two-point stances on each A-gap, one in each A-gap. And so the running back has to worry about those guys. One does come, the other drops. But as a running back, most of the time, your protection rules are inside out. So when he sees that linebacker come, he has to come inside That frees up Adams to have a running start right between the pectoral muscles of Matt Ryan because that's where he puts his helmet. And for lack of a better phrase, he blasts Ryan from the pocket where the quarterback would typically stand to behind the left tackle. Now Cam Newton, bit of a bigger guy. But still, that will leave a mark. And so, when the Patriots have the football, my eyes before every snap are going to go to where number 33 is aligned. He can create havoc. That's why the Seahawks got him. Where is he going to be and how the Patriots are going to account for him? So that's what I'll be looking for on Sunday. How do they handle Russell Wilson? 
which also gives us a, a window into how they're handling athletic quarterbacks and what are they going to do with Jamal Adams. So that will do it for today. I will be back late Sunday night, early Monday morning with a recap show. Until then, friends, stay safe, check in on your loved ones, wash the hands, and when you do, sin along and bless those Patriots reigns down in Farfield.